our podcast this week, we're crazy rich podcasters. Well, two out of three ain't bad, as we welcome absolute ruddy legends, King of Thieves stars Michael Caine and Ray Winstone, and Constance Wu, star of Crazy Rich Asians. Plus the usual news and nonsense. On the movie podcast, it is frankly still recovering from the sight of Jim Broadbent's naked arse. And let me tell you, it's a little bear. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, after the ginormous fun that was last week's live show, please do listen to that if you haven't already, and apologies in advance, especially, once again, to the Burt Reynolds estate. Uh, we are back in the studio, and we're joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our editor-in-chief, celebrating three years in charge of this godforsaken hellhole. Terry White, how are you? I'm feeling good and emotional. Three years today, Chris Hewitt. Is it today? Today. Really? Three years today. It's my empire of anniversary. Your life, I think, has been immeasurably better for three years. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, the, it, it, it fits and starts. Yeah, right. It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, just you, been. just our relationship. Uh, it, it's evolved. It's it's become something more than human. <laughs> more than human. I more think than human. Is correct. That's the name of your autobiography. It's swollen. It's fat. What? It's, it's engorged. Our relationship is swollen, fat, and engorged. It's what I've always wanted. Oh, this is why we have you on the podcast. Um, Happy to be here. You know, we're not going to make this all about you, Terry, obviously, but three years of Empire, what have you learned? And who, if you were pressed to name the one Empire writer who you thought was, like, the, I don't know, the best, the, just the greatest, the, the most brilliant, who would that be? Well, I mean, it's awkward with you being here, but Nick DeSemlian. Perhaps you didn't understand the question. <laughs> Who among the Empire writers, the people in the office... Mm-hmm. In fact, let's narrow it down. Okay. Okay. To the people who are here in the room right now, okay? Yeah. Uh, who would you say the best writer, the greatest writer, the most versatile, the most talented, the most effortlessly brilliant? Mm. Who would that be? Well, James Dyer's not here. That's true. That Nick DeSemlian is mm. not here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we haven't introduced the other two people. There are no... But... <laughs> No. Uh, I would have to say mm. Nev Pierce. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just fucking say my name, will you? For the love of God. Chris Hewitt! Yay! Nailed it first time. Uh, welcome also to the podcast. Uh, you know, he's a relative whippersnapper in Empire terms. Are you still in your first year, Ben Travis? Yes, I eight months or so. Eight wow. Months. You're not even full term yet. Not even full term. I'm going to be born in a month as a new kind of empire being. I can believe uh, that you will be born in a month. You are so young and fresh-faced and full of hope, and we will beat that out of you in time. Oh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. One month left. It's been eight months of beating. Oh, my God. That's so <laughs> See, you've already dragged me down to your level. <laughs> I'm so sorry if my parents are still listening to this. He's got a right arm like Popeye. It's amazing. If they are still listening to this, I would be gobsmacked and yeah. mm-hmm. very worried about your relationship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if anyone's listening to this, I'm gobsmacked and worried about the relationship. Um, ben, if you were to name an Empire writer who you think is great, who you think is genius level, maybe, genius and level. certainly the most brilliant person who's enriched and enhanced your life uh, over the last eight months, who would that person be? Ooh, there's a there's a lot of top competition for that one. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. lots of great writers, lots great. of great people, people in the office. You know, so many. People. Um, 
obviously James Dyer is my boss and so obviously he's a great man who I have a uh-huh. great deal of respect for while he's off on roller coasters while I'm writing things for the website. Is he though? Um, I think I'm going to have to say Nick Dissemblian as well. He showed me where there's the place uh-huh. just down from uh-huh. the office where there's the uh-huh. sausage yeah. Um, yeah. paninis. Stop, stop talking, stop talking. Uh, and joining us this week for the only the second time... Only the second time in the history of the Empire podcast uh, is a man I've been proud to call someone I've met. When did I first... Well, I'll introduce you first. Uh, Last time this person was on the Empire podcast, uh, there was a fire alarm halfway through and they didn't come back for the second half. That was about five years ago. (laughs) But there's an open invitation to Nev Pierce. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm very happy to be here and frankly very surprised to be here, but it was nice to get (laughs) And I'm increasingly Nef. surprised. I look at you two where yeah. you're sat, and it's yeah. like a before and after. It's like, what does Empire do to you? <laughs> so Eight you months can, in. Yeah, you can see what you've got to look forward to. Yeah. Wow. This... Well, I'm looking forward to owning a, a Chewbacca surfing T-shirt, which is what Chris yeah. has got on today. Yeah, and I think Ben's going to have a full head of hair when he's my age. Like, it is. It's almost a downfall how thick my hair is. I feel like I might have Stop kind of Alan in, Baldwin ben. levels of uh, when it kind of in my later years... I think it's still going to be... Yeah. Well, you know what, you know what uh, Jack Donaghy says? Your hair is your head suit. It is your head suit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to get it cut every week. <laughs> every two days. Every two days, that's it. cut every two days. And put uh, my tux after six. Nev, how often do you get your hair cut? Every four weeks. Wow. That's like clockwork. true, is it? That sounds like much more organised than I actually am. And please don't take this the wrong way, but do you do it yourself? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mum used to do it. <laughs> Until what age? Well, forty-two. Well, how old am I now? Yeah. <laughs> no, I have a very nice, uh, nice barber in Bristol who I go along to. Oh, I love to Bristol. About football, really? And okay. so you have to leave it enough time for interesting things to have happened, because otherwise you're going to have to talk about your life. Mm. <laughs> I said I was going grey, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that's the filmmaking." And I thought my barber is a critic. <laughs> yes, everyone is. Yeah. Everyone bloody. Do you well talk is. about feelings? Feelings. Not yet. That Maybe next time. Maybe after this. Yeah. We can talk yeah. about feelings on this if you'd like. Yes, we, this is going to turn into therapy. Uh, it, it so frequently does. It's I'm so all for it. Does. At least, I mean, it's free, isn't it? So Yeah, you have pretty to much. Therapy. No, that's true. Nev, if you had to name an Empire writer that you thought was the best and the greatest and the most brilliant and genius level and perhaps even, oh, I don't know, a godlike uh, being of absolute shimmering transcendence, who would that person be? Just, no pressure to name anyone in the room currently. Does Dan Jolin count? Dan gave no. me my first bit of work. I've got a lot of love for Dan. Dan, long, Dan long Jolin does count, but Dan Jolin can't count. So, <laughs> <laughs> screw that guy. Screw that guy. No, thanks for thanks for coming in, Nev. Uh, enjoy your next appearance in five years' time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like any of us are going to be here in five years' time. <laughs> but, Terry, that'll be eight years of uh, Empire. But do you, what do you what do you think? Would you would you be able to? Are you going to be here in five years' time? What's your five year plan? Am I hell going to be here in five years' time? Are you out of your mind? No. Diversification is very important, isn't it, in the modern era? Uh, what what do you see yourself doing in five years' time if you're not uh, editing the greatest film magazine in the world? Crikey! If I wasn't editing Empire in five years' time, in five years' time, I will be forty-four years old, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I think it's time for my next career. Oh, as a landlady <laughs> of a pub in the north of England, you are all welcome to be yep. regulars in my pub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
from what I've seen, it's like leaning on the bar, giving people life advice and drinking heavily. I think I might have to develop empathy, but um, <laughs> but I've been working on that recently. So give me give me another five years and I think I'll be there on the empathy front and then uh-huh. I'll be ready for phase two of my life. Wow. Okay, that's I can amazing. see you being a bit like uh, Marsha in Spaced, but with a pub. So you've yeah. got like the pub downstairs, oh. and then you've got like sort of younger flat sharers living in the upstairs bit, and you give them life advice as well, and they're all going on like pop culture infused adventures. And yeah, uh, yeah, I just see wow. that being a natural fit. I can absolutely see whichever place you run getting a terrible review and trip. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The landlady is terrifying. Do not go back. What a bitch. <laughs> She kept talking about vaginas. She kept talking about penises and vaginas, playing the greatest showman soundtrack. I mean, when did that film come out? Over and over and over again. (laughs) Redoing the dance moves. Oh, dear. Um, Yeah, I think it's going to be the greatest pub on earth, and I think you should all come. What's it going to be called? Uh, Magic Tavern. The Magic Tavern. Is that a name? Is that a euphemism? (laughs) It's both my vagina and my local pub. The Magic Tavern. All are welcome. Come and stop, come and stop at the Magic Tavern. How many does the Magic Tavern accommodate? <laughs> well. Anyway, Ben, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say, for example, five mm-hmm. years' time, you've got to diversify. What are you going to do? Ooh, I mean, who knows? I think I'm going to be surrounded by avocado stones and broken dreams. Think it, I'll be mushing up the avocado stones into a paste that I can then build into bricks in the hopes of trying to buy a house to get somewhere to live. In uh-huh. terms of a job... I mean, will the internet be in our brains at that point? Will I be helping movie news get into, like, straight to the brain? Straight to the brain. Straight to the brain. Yeah. Uh, Up every morning, download all the news. I mean, I don't even know what I'm doing next week, let alone five years' time. That's true. I think you're covering for James Dyer in the next week. Oh, shit, yeah, I am. I mean, I should have known that. It's fine. (laughs) It'll all be fine. Please check the website. It'll all Uh, be fine. The reason I bring up diversification as something that's very, very important, is that Nev here is way ahead of us. Nev started life as a film journalist, but now is a filmmaker. Isn't this true, Nev? It is true. It's very kind of you to mention it. <laughs> Not prearranged in any way, shape, right, or form. Yeah. That's a surprise. Do you like the segue? <laughs> yeah, it's very impressive. Did you, you see where I was going when I was when I brought up the first? Yeah, and I was just terrified you were actually going to ask me what I was going to be doing in five years' time. <laughs> what are you going like, to be doing in five well, years' I time? I don't know. I used to have very specific plans, and now I realise, like, pick a target and just hope that you can still stand by the time you get there. Just you know, <laughs> yeah, just try not to fall over. I had very specific plans for life and they didn't really work out. So, you know, just like general, general directions. Like, you know. Perhaps you could be helping Terry out at the Magic Tavern in five years' time. We should... Indeed. Oh, Who knows? You can but... be the pot boy. The pot boy? You know the pot boy? Who sells pot, pot to everyone coming into uh, Terry's <laughs> Magic Tavern. So, in, is this a northern thing? There's a pot boy, a boy, who goes around and he collects the empty pint pots. Oh, yeah, I could do that. A glass collector. <laughs> a glass collector. That's a, that's a thing at any drinking establishment around the world. It's not just in the north of England. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A glass collector. The pot boy. The pot boy. The pot boy. boy. Minesweeper. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. The pot boy never sups the remnants that are left in the bottom of the pine pot. No, 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 no. See, you're already giving me the stern landlady. <laughs> I'm already... I mean, I do work for you, so I guess I should feel worried. But, like... Yeah. You this did, is working yeah. out so well so far. You don't yeah. want to sub any remnants you find at the Magic Tavern. Duly <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, noted. Terry, so can I just say of um, of all the bosses that I've had over the last 12 months in 
Like, with you being <laughs> lovely, narrows it down. So it's like, that, can we can we say who your previous boss was? I was going to say, of all the bosses I've had in the last twelve months, you, you are preferable to George Osborne. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> but he's never invited you to the Magic Tavern, has he? He never has, and if he did, I'd run as far as fast as I could in the opposite direction. No one wants to go to George Osborne's Magic Tavern. <laughs> Who knows what kind of shit he's got going on in there? Anyway, let's get back to Nev, because uh, I, I, Nev, you are you you have made. A number of short films, haven't you? Oh, uh, no. And I think you've given hope to anyone who wants to do that. Well, not, not to anyone who's seen the films. <laughs> um, yeah, I've made uh, four short films and I've written some features uh, okay. which have yet to be made. Some of them are on spec and been sold. Sorry, I'm just banging the microphone. It's fine. You're, 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 you're a filmmaker, them, not a podcaster. It's fine. I yeah, would expect I'm you to know what to do. I do with my hands. Yeah, so I, I write and I direct. Uh, tell us uh, what, what, what's what's the latest? What's what's happening? And where can people see these films? And these these are actual just in case people think films, these are proper think. short films that have had that garnered praise from the likes of David Fincher and Mark Romanek, uh, people like that, and they star proper people who are proper actors. You've written, I, you wrote one with David Oyelowo a few years ago, right? Am I right in thinking I, that? I wrote one that he was he was in, yeah, yeah. And Jason Fleming has has been in, uh, yeah, he's a lovely Alice guy. Lowe, so Fleming I met on set of Benjamin Button back yeah. in like 2007 and he said, oh, if, oh, we talked about making films and he said, oh, if you ever want me to be in something, just give me a call. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's an offer happen. he extends to pretty much then, any filmmaker. Well, you're just saying I'm not special, Chris. Just no, no, I'm saying. just saying he's a very lovely guy and he will he would love to make short films and you can contact him. At- <laughs> yeah. well, and five years later, I did just drop an email going, I'm, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm not the quickest mover. Uh-huh. Um, and he was, yeah, bang up for it. And, and so he starred in Bricks with uh, Blake Ritson, which was yes. an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation, which was my first short, which yes. is the one that Fincher said nice things about. That's very nice. Um, the latest one is called Promise, which is one Mark Romanek said nice things about. That came out of a competition called The Pitch, where I I was actually a judge um, and one of the finalists I really liked the idea so um, although it didn't come top of the competition I then tried well I did get the finance together to make it oh I thought you said you'd stolen the idea yeah just stole the idea that's what I do I judge things <laughs> I've been the ideas um, and Rebecca Callard's in that from mm. Detectorists oh very good very very good indeed so um, where can people see these uh, these are all online Vimeo Vimeo slash dot com uh-huh. Slash Neville Pierce, and you're Neville Pierce. You're credited as Neville Pierce. Yeah, it's uh, not really I'll be a honest good with you. Sign. That's never sat well with me. Yeah, well, it's not really. Given directors are supposed to be able to make decisions, and that's supposed to be your one quality is being decisive. <laughs> it doesn't really speak well of me that I can't seem to decide on my own name. <laughs> 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 that has occurred to me as a problem. But I mean, I, I, it, I think it was just because. Uh, well, Nev was journalism, and that was kind of the byline I took. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I well, actually it was when I stood for a student election, I thought no one's going to vote for a Neville. No one likes a Neville. Uh, so I changed it to Nev. Neville's and that became Nev. But like, Neville was my given name. I thought I'd try and make my mother proud. No, it's totally fine. And I, I can also see there's, there's a sheen of legitimacy with Neville that you don't get with Nev necessarily. But if I may say, and I feel that you know we're amongst friends here, right? Uh, it has, a, it has a, a patina of Charles Sheen about it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, this well, Lawrence Fishburne was Larry, and then he became Lawrence. That's true, and everyone went with it. And it's I remember totally at the time thinking, why is he doing that? It's a bit pretentious. So naturally, I then went and did it. Basically, anything that at some point I thought was pretentious or stupid or a mistake <laughs> in life, I then eventually went on to do. Yeah. That, I mean, there's lots of things I could talk about in that, but probably not here. Isn't that age, I think? Yeah. That's the ageing process mm. right there. Well, in terms of what, grasping? Everything you thought was pretentious as a Ben person i.e. a young person you then go on to do mm-hmm. and embody and mm-hmm. become yeah 
uh, that's far too profound for this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know a who you are and b how you got in here. <laughs> Let's go back to talking about the Magic Tavern. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I honestly think it's phenomenal that you're you're making these movies because it's difficult to get short films made in this country and to finance them and to get people who are prepared to dedicate their time not just in front of the camera but behind the camera as well. And this is obviously something that you know you've wanted to do for a long, long time. Uh, and each of the four films, would you say there's a link? Is there a thematic link? Uh, the link is I'm sort of still surprised that I actually made them. Yeah. Like, I, I still like, oh, yeah, that is a thing that actually happened. It was something I wanted to do for a very, very long time. So mm-hmm. to make them and for them to... I mean, it's probably it's not the give, gun, done thing to say that your own films are good, isn't it? But everyone else is very good in them. And, uh, mm-hmm. and um, to be like, oh, right, okay, they hit a professional standard and they're proper movies, I mean, short movies, mm-hmm. um, is still a surprise to me. And I think you find out maybe after you've made things why you chose to make them. I don't think you necessarily know up front. I'm, and people used to say that to me, and I filmmakers would say that to me when I would say, oh, what's your movie about? What's the theme of it when I'm interviewing them? And people would say that, and I think that sounds like nonsense. Of course mm. you know why you made the movie. But sometimes you don't. It was only halfway through some films. I'm like, oh, that's why I'm doing this. It's because of this thing I wanted to deal with. The, uh, most of my scripts seem to be about angry middle-aged men, so I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I'm going to diversify. Um, what would be your advice for people who want to get into short films and as a bridge to making, to making feature films, especially if they have day jobs? I think, I mean, the thing that, that was hardest, I think, was where you, yeah, you find it, trying to find stories that work in that kind of format because a lot of short films are fairly pretentious and you wanted to try, I wanted to try something where people would go, oh, that's a proper satisfying story but still only be able to tell it in 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then it was getting the money together and I was very fortunate, a friend of a friend knew um, Stefan Arsh Taylor who's now started a short film fund and he put money into each of the shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was fortunate in that regard. I actually think looking back and probably advice I would give now is advice I've heard from some people like Edgar Wright have said, you just got to go make films. Mm-hmm. And I do think, I, probably because I was a journalist, I was a, I've, I kind of probably gave myself greater expectations than I needed to. Because actually, if I'd made the first film and it had been terrible, well, no one would have cared. No one would have noticed. I could have buried it. But I was determined that it would hit a certain standard. So I waited and waited and waited and waited. And I wonder actually now whether just getting a camera or even a camera on your phone and making mm. something with people in an informal basis, you learn an awful lot doing that. Mm. And I think that's how people like Edgar started, like Shane Meadows started like that not worrying too much about the end product in terms of just doing it, I think I would have made more stuff and I think I would probably have got better quicker. But, you know, that's life, isn't it? Things, you know, I'm happy with the films. I'm happy where I got to yeah. now. Um, I wish I'd started sooner, but that's probably the same with a lot of, people. A lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would your advice be in terms of scale, in terms of uh, scale of ambition and scale of the films? Say, for example, if you'd written a short film script that spanned the course of 30 years and had multiple locations and actors playing and younger versions of, of different characters, would you say, stop that, you're being an idiot, you'll never raise money to do that? I don't think, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think you should be realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, as in, I, do, I mean, I think there's a lot of, the world will be realistic enough for you, enough people will tell you that you can't do it. So there's something to be said for being a bit bullheaded about stuff, even if it seems like it's impossible. Mm. I mean, one thing I would probably say, if you're looking to make features, which of course I haven't done yet, is trying to make short films that have a very direct link to the features is probably a smart thing to do. It's mm-hmm. not something I did. Could you, I take, made, you know, could you take something from that short film uh, and expand it into feature length? Or are you talking about taking a, an, an excerpt from a script, say a 10-page excerpt from a script, and that has a beginning, middle, and end, and making that as a short, as a calling yeah, or card? Taking a, yeah, taking a script. Like, so Bricks tonally was similar to a feature I had, and it has a character dynamic that's similar to a feature script. 
but it's similar. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think people are very, very literal. Um, yep. And also, you're asking for an awful lot of money. So you go, oh, it's kind of like this. Don't you see the, the character dynamics are kind of similar? And people are like, like you blank stare sometimes. <laughs> saying that, you know, just, all right, okay, go with me. No, all right. Um, so I think probably making something which you either plan to expand or because or is a small version of a bigger script that you already have is yeah, a good yeah. idea. If you want to check out Nev's films, uh, Fimeo.com, is there an official URL or just... Just Neville uh, Pierce. Neville Pierce. Or just go to nevpierce.com where they are as well. Okay. And you can read other bits of my journalism there Fantastic. as well. Fantastic. Oh, why would you want to do that? You've, yeah, you've right. ruined it. You've ruined it. Uh, Terry, do you have a short film on you? <laughs> I have several. Um, no. <laughs> if you want to check out Terry's films, go to pornhub.co. That's, that's, that's a website. I don't the even magic, know that's a real website. TheMagicTavernTours.com. Book your tour right now. No, and I actually, I think what I echo what you say, I think what Nev's done is amazing. I think in our industry, there's, you meet a lot of people who want to be filmmakers and a lot of people, the very fact we all do this means we are passionate about slash obsessed with film as a medium, whether that's short films or features. And I think short films, as you say, are really hard to get made and don't get the greatest platform in this country, either from the press or from industry necessarily, which is still very feature focused. Um, and I think what you say about just doing it is really, if you're to get somebody like Edgar, for example, is quite kind of open about some of his earlier stabs. I think our amazing one-star review of um, yeah. Fistful of Fingers. Um, well, even the level of filmmaking and stuff like Fistful of Fingers or his short films is beyond yeah. most people. But I think, yeah, just as you say, and I think the, the look these days is that Actually, everybody's got a fo- everyone's got a camera in their hand, really, realistically. And I think there used to be such a barrier, a lack of democracy with um, with most creative endeavours, actually, whether it's film, whether it's music. I think there's been a lack of, d- of democracy because um, it's you need a certain amount of money, you need a certain amount of access. This is why nepotism can be such an important dynamic at play in our world. Um, so I love the fact that there has been a democratisation of this medium and that anybody can... If you have a vision, you have a great idea, whether it's the most polished things with the best production values ever, you have a camera in your hand and you can create something and mm-hmm. you can put it on the internet for people to see. And I think that's been yeah. such a, a game-changer in our world. In a world of Sean Baker and Steven Soderbergh making films on iPhones. Yes, quite. What's your excuse, yeah. quite frankly? He said, talking to himself. Anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who could you possibly be aiming that at, Chris? Who could you be aiming at? Shall we have a question? We're almost 30 minutes into this and we haven't had a question yet. So sorry. Uh, It's not like this every week, new listeners. Yes, it is. Uh, So the question comes from Adam Jones via email and he asks, uh, with the news of Roseanne having a spin-off without Roseanne, what TV shows would you like to see have a spin-off without their main character? Mine would have to be Dawson's Creek without James Vanderbeek. He's such a nice guy, it's painful to watch. Good question. Which TV show would you like to see have a spin-off without their main character? Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap without Sam Beckett. So it's just Dean Stockwell going, travelling through time, shouting at people. <laughs> and they can't hear him. He's just shouting at people in terrible situations. Okay, yeah, I like it. Do you not like Sam Beckett? Oh, I love Sam Beckett. I was just, yeah, it's just what occurred to me when it came through in the moment. No, that's fair enough. It's good. Uh, are you, in fact, being possessed by a time traveller? Possessed. I've gone, I've, gone, I've, gone, I've gone full Shakespearean. Uh, are you possessed by a time traveller right now? I'm beginning to feel like it. <laughs> that's a good answer, though. Uh, Terry, do you have an answer for this? You should have. I emailed it on Monday. You did. <laughs> Blossom 
without Blossom, and I've got a whole thing, right? So six, who was always the better character, let's be honest, I realise I'm looking at a room full of men, but um, six was the neighbour who was fun and, like, funnier, and actually I thought smarter than Blossom. Blossom really irritated the fuck out of me, like, uh-huh. really badly. So I always wanted to be six, so I was thinking six, grown up, she's now married to Joey Lawrence, who was Blossom's brother. They've had um, some kids, and it's, like, about their kids, and the kids hate Auntie Blossom, because Auntie Blossom is the worst, and she's uh-huh. just got worse with age. Yep. So Blossom without Blossom and with Six and Joey having had kids and little attitude kids, and everybody hates Blossom, <laughs> the end. <laughs> Make it. <laughs> Make it, motherfuckers. Ben, I would go for something that was actually already done on one of my favourite shows for an episode, uh, which was in season three of Buffy. There is the episode The Wish, where Cordelia makes a wish unbeknownst to Anya, the demon, saying, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to, to Sunnydale. And they're all plunged into, like, it's a classic alternate dimension. Uh, you get all your kind of favourite characters are now vampires and everything's kind of fucked up and dark. You're swearing a lot of <gasps> Me? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm very sorry. I, again, mm. I hope my parents aren't listening anymore. I hope um, they're not listening because, you frankly, you've embarrassed them. Oh, I'm really sorry. I feel like I've dragged this podcast down. Um, <laughs> Out of all of us, it's you. I don't think anything could drag this podcast down. <laughs> You're really saying Buffy without Buffy? Well, I just... I. Uh, partly didn't prepare enough for this question and I partly uh, I think that's a really intriguing fun work. like because we've already got seven seasons of what Buffy is with Buffy it would just it would be like a one-off like limited series thing because then there's elements in that different world that are so good that they brought them back briefly so there's that episode Doppelgangland where the like evil vampire Willow then gets transplanted across into the normal Buffy universe uh, and it's good fun. I mean I would watch Willow mm-hmm. a whole spin-off What if Tara didn't get killed off? Yes, or, yeah. it's, it's yeah. Alison Hannigan and it's Tara and it's their lives <laughs> mm-hmm. together as married witches. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Buffy without Buffy is it's Cordelia, who is the most oh irritating... Oh my god, a Cordelia is... Oh no, 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 Cordelia! What? She's the reason I couldn't watch Angel. But she, oh my God, so of all, uh, sorry, you've set me off. So of all the characters in the whole Buffyverse, Cordelia probably has like the best and most like interesting arc across all of that. Because so she starts now. Kind of, yeah, because Anya by the end is still (laughs) like, she's still kind of harboring a lot of issues mm-hmm. uh, especially after Xander really fucks her mm-hmm. I'm really sorry if you've never seen Buffy or Angel this is full spoilers etc but Cordelia when you go back and watch the early seasons of Buffy she is like one of the absolute best characters like she is so good at being a horrible bitch yeah she but is but then also she's just really true to who she is at that time um, whereas, which is like, the worst <laughs> she is the worst she, she's great and she's in the first three seasons and then when she goes across to Angel she has this like she just grows up and becomes like a really nice, normal person who then got massively fucked over by that show mm. uh, in general because, well, she got pregnant and then she got written out of the show and it's a whole horrible situation. But Cordelia is one of the best characters and she has a really great arc over the whole thing. And actually, yes, I want more Cordelia. Uh, Cordelia, of course, played by Charisma Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And hey, guys, do you know the real Charisma Carpenter? Jesus. <laughs> That's so terrible, but I'm stealing it. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw it in there. I would go for. I mean, this is a this is a really good question. Uh, the answer is on our screens right now, and it is Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal and uh, dispensed with Breaking Bad's main character slash Urs, and is 
I would say on a par with the parent show. That's a cracker. I would love to see a Niles sitcom and see how he would function without without Frasier. That'd be great. And this may be a little dark, but if they were to bump off Greg Evigan or Paul Reiser, I think My One Dad would be a really great <gasps> a really great sitcom that they could <laughs> that they could revisit down the line. No? My, my one, my one granddad. dad. Yeah. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Well, it could be about the dead one. My one dead dad. <laughs> my one dead dad. With Greg Evigan singing the uh, theme tune from behind, from beyond the grave. You used to be able to count on me. <laughs> no matter what you do. <laughs> anyway, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as Adam Jones found to his cost, you can get in touch with us via number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine and we're on email at podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for our first guest this week. Crazy Rich Asians is an absolute phenomenon. It is a huge box office smash in the UK. It is a lot of fun. And it is the first film, the first American film in 25 years to have an entirely Asian cast. It's the likes of Ken Jeong, my Twitter nemesis, uh, Aquafina, Henry Golding. We'll be talking about him later on. And uh, But it's headed up by Constance Wu, who has a sitcom in the States as well. And uh, they came into London the other week. I went along and had a lovely, interesting chat with Constance Wu. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Crazy Rich Asians, Constance Wu. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Glad to be here. Oh, glad, glad to have you here. Like 25 feet away from me. People can't see this on the podcast, obviously, because it's <laughs> audio. But you're about 25 feet away from me. So I'm going to have to shout every question in the general direction and hope you can hear me. Sounds fun. Let's go. You must be on cloud nine. You must be going through different cities at the moment. What? Whirlwind tours. But no, also... we're not going to that many cities. Okay. We actually did a lot of American cities, but mm-hmm. then... Um, I actually wasn't able to do any of that because I'm currently shooting my television show. Yes. So I'm obligated to that first, okay. obviously. Um, and then they've done Singapore and then they've done London. I don't think they've done anything else. Okay, that's pretty much, that's it so far. Yeah. Okay. So, um, But the jet lag has been difficult to, <laughs> to deal with and definitely yeah. been doing a lot of press obligations, but, you know, uh-huh. all for something that we all believe in. So it's yes. a privilege to be able to do that. I mean, that, that is the thing. I mean, it does seem like the, the entire cast. I was on the screen last night and you guys do seem blown away by the reaction to this film because it's been astonishing. Three weeks, number one in the States in a row, which is incredible, you know, this day and age as well. I feel very old having just said in, in this day and age. Uh, <laughs> but it is very much that old, that old fashioned sleeper hit that had a, a good opening weekend and just kept on rolling. And it feels, this film feels significant. Yeah, it's significant, of course. I mean, it was always going to be significant whether or not there was a box office or not because the very fact that it was created drew attention to the former drought of content and the continuing drought of content for uh, Asians in English-speaking cinema. Mm. So, uh, yeah, people didn't talk about that very much before because it just wasn't... Because we do see Asians a lot in like American cinema, but it's never their story. Yeah. They're all supporting somebody else's story. Or we're put into period pieces where we're like, you know, monks or like Kung Fu experts, which is really cool. Um, <laughs> but like as an Asian American kid, if you're asked to identify with the people from the wonderful f- films of China, for example, that's not your story. And what it says is that 
Other people assume that your culture is only skin deep, that your story must be like that story because you look like, yet nobody would say that about a a Texas guy versus like an English guy, just because you both look the same. We don't make assumptions about them. So... So I think that's that was going to start a conversation. It always was going to. That's why it's so significant that this movie is uh, set in contemporary times, like today, mm-hmm. with the contemporary problems. And, um, and, uh, and it's an international cast, most of whom are hyphenates. Uh, yeah. You know, Asian-Australian, Asian-British, yeah. Asian-American. You know. Yeah. You must have been inundated with tweets and emails and letters and all sorts from people who have watched this film and and for the first time are seeing themselves represented on screen. It must Mm -hmm. be incredibly important as well from from that point of view. Yeah, it's actually been really, really moving and uh, reaffirms my passion for what I do in a a more focused way. I mean, I've I've been an actor for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I've like dedicated my life to this craft and the reason I do that is because I really, um, I, I kind of feel like we are like guardians and expressors of like story and soul and heart. Mm-hmm. And I, as a very empathetic person, that's like what means everything to me. But I always just thought generally, like I just want to play these characters that like are race neutral in a way, yeah, which yeah. is fine, but I actually don't want to do that anymore okay. because I don't think, I think if you say I want a part that has nothing to do with my race, um, what does that say about what you think about your race? Because there's no way your race doesn't have at least a little impact on your identity. I don't think your race should be the only thing mm-hmm. that uh, determines your character, which is what happens when you have like you know, smaller parts Mm because you don't have time to explore their stories. But, um, you know, any character that I play is going to be Asian. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like, I can't really escape that, but I could, but I I could start to look into what are the valuable things about that? What are the things that are longing to be heard from a community? Um, and so for me, it's, I don't want to neutralize uh, our story. I want to celebrate it. Yeah. I want to talk about how it is a part of identity. I want to talk about how it's not the only part of someone's identity, and that the only way you do that is by centering the story instead of just having diversity for diversity's sake, where you just check off a box. Oh, we have one Asian person. <laughs> it's like okay, well, yeah, they look Asian, but what is it about them that makes that diversity valuable? Yeah. It's their story. It's not yeah. like the way their face looks. Absolutely. Unless they're like super hot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> then it's like whatever. Let's see it. <laughs> I mean, is this a is this a relatively recent uh, awakening for you? Because you, you you're a pioneer as well with your TV shows. You mentioned Fresh Off the Boat, which is uh, uh, centers again on an Asian American family. Is that is that was that the the thing that sparked it all for you? Yeah, it really was that show, and really was Eddie Huang himself. He's the the guy who wrote the memoir on which my TV show is based. Yeah. Um, he's a very evocative, provocative voice in America. Not because I think he's like that causing a row, but I mm. think he's provocative in context of the expectations people have for somebody who looks like him. Yes. And um, I think that's really special and I think that's really brave. And so he's examined a lot of parts of his self, himself um, that aren't 
don't always make him look great. Like he's examined parts of himself that are sexist, that are racist. Like, Mm -hmm. and he puts them out there and then people are like, oh, you have these qualities. And I actually think it's really brave of him because he is taking ownership of them in order to understand them, in order to change. Mm -hmm. And I think he really inspired me to change in that way, just to have an awareness of this stuff that I wasn't thinking about. And then uh, I learned more because of that. And I actually don't think anyone is worse off for learning something. (laughs) So like, yeah, Yeah. it's, 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 it's been difficult, but it's, it's been good. It's a, that's a controversial viewpoint these days. We apparently we don't we don't need experts. That's what we keep being told. Oh my God, I know. I mean, it's <laughs> you know stuff. Get out of town. Yeah, I mean, people just want to turn it into like a into like a bloodbath. He said, she said. Yeah. Like even some of the stuff that I tweet about, like you know, whitewashing and like institutional bias. People want to say that it's you know me versus Matt Damon, and it's like. No, not at all. I don't have a problem with him. I don't have a problem with Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. I know that these actors have good intentions. Nobody's out there saying, let me choose the movie that I think will piss the most people off. Nobody's (laughs) doing that, right? So it's not not them. It shouldn't be personal. I I, I just want to bring awareness rather than personal blame because the reason they weren't aware is because nobody told them so let's talk about it not to point fingers but to talk about the fact like not saying you're you're a bad person you're racist you're this and that Mm -hmm. but to say you know what we all grew up in a place that has institutional racism Mm -hmm. institutional uh systemic racism institutional bias yeah you know we all grow up in that so let's think about that let's think let's think about what that does to um our perceptions and Mm -hmm. You know, it shouldn't hurt to think more rather than less. Oh, God. But I mean, I guess today, who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Maybe the tides are turning. Who knows? Knowledge is not good anymore, maybe. What what is knowledge? How do you spell knowledge? I don't don't (laughs) even know. So this this change in your attitude towards uh, acting and your career, I imagine that is very different from when you first got into acting. Why Why did you get into acting? What was it about this profession that, that drew you in? Well, I grew up in theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing theater since I was like 10 or 11, something like that. And for me, growing up in southern or central Virginia, uh, where it is very conservative, it's very white, it's also very kind there. Everybody's really nice and they mm-hmm. have good manners. A lot of the weirdos, <laughs> they navigate to the theater, right? Because it's a <laughs> the theater is a place of free expression. It's, Were you a weirdo? I still am. I mean, <laughs> come on. You're hiding it very well. Oh, yeah, that's the acting part, is yeah, hiding the weirdo. You did come in on a, on a unicycle, in fairness, but that's, that's yeah. not here nor there. Um, but yeah, I've been doing it since forever, and it started out as, like, theater always felt like a home to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like a safe place. It felt like a, a place where I could be free. Mm-hmm. And so as I got older, I started to actually think about it in a serious way and uh, study it in a serious way. I find that sometimes it could have, there's a great deal of dignity in it. And there's also a great deal of like silliness, which is great. You want both. You want levity and depth. (laughs) Yeah, because if you have too much levity, it's annoying. If you have too much depth, it's indulgent. So you kind of want to like be able to hop around both worlds. Well, that's one of the things I love about this film as well. It is such an important film. It's such a landmark film. But itself, the movie, is a really bright, breezy 
there is depth there as well, though. There is there is a bite to the movie yeah. too. But the fact it is, fact is, it's a bright, colorful, breezy comedy. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a bright, colorful, breezy comedy with a heart and a backbone. Mm. <laughs> it's how uh, I think of it, and it needs that comedy because if somebody says to you, "Oh, this movie is about this horrible thing," and you're going to cry. You're probably not going to want to go to it. But I have a friend who says the reason rom-coms are so great is because the laughter relaxes you and opens you up. Mm -hmm. And when you're open, then you're more accessible to your heart. So then you kind of get them, you know? That's when you get them at the end. And uh, I think that's kind of what we did because we have amazing um, comedic actors in this movie who are just like, they steal the show, you know? Um, But we both need each other. Yeah. Like, the... The more serious ones need the comedians to lighten up and open up people's hearts. Okay. And the more serious people need... Uh, the com- comedians need the more serious people to um, add gravity to the reason why we desire. Yeah. Oh, gravity. so you don't, you don't see yourself as a, a comedian in this film? I've... Do you, do you feel very much you're, you're holding the... You're carrying the dramatic weight of the movie in a way in your shoulders? I feel like I'm both, uh-huh. you know, but... Um, I didn't used to think of myself as a comedic actor, but which is funny because the thing that first brought me visibility was very much an American sitcom. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess I was wrong about myself. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have a great I have great fun in both. Um, yeah. Sometimes comedy is challenging for me simply because when I'm around other funny people, mm-hmm. I break character a lot and I stop laugh. I start laughing at them because they're so funny. And yeah. I, and you know, I can't stay in the scene. And it's like, that's the hard part is for me to not break when somebody else is being so funny. So that's, that's been a challenge, but I'm getting better at that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you see yourself very distinct in a way from say Aquafina or Ken Jong in this movie, who are very much, they're, they're almost parachuted in as specialist comedians, you know, in a weird way. Kind of. I think, I think the assumption put on all, all of mm-hmm. us in that is different. But I think uh, people like Aquafina mm-hmm. and Ken have extraordinary depth. I mean, mm-hmm. Ken did this movie called Advantageous that's very much a drama, and he has a, a lot of depth and darkness in that. Aquafina just did a movie. I forgot what it was called. But um, she's the lead in it, and it's, like, way more serious. Yeah. It's just that, you know, it's what, what you're known for rather than what you are. Uh-huh. So... That's another thing about the assumptions, the bias. It's all connected, you know? I promise you after this, I'm never going to make an assumption again. Ever. Yeah, never. right, man. Never. You're not a human never. if you don't make assumptions. I've stopped. You assume that I'm not going to, like, take my clothes off right here. I think everyone assumes But what that. if I did? Well, it would be a podcast, so it would yeah, be Yeah, then my wasted. publisher would be like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> but it was still an assumption, right? It is an assumption, uh, that's for sure. So... Uh, but, well, but I'm glad you're aware. Right? I am aware. I'm totally so that you're aware. Trying. I'm We're, totally aware. Yeah. I'm swearing off assumptions. That's it. No more assumptions. Good for you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Constance Wu there, and we'll be talking about Crazy Rich Asians uh, later on in the show. First, though, we're going to be talking about the week's movie news, and I guess it's only one place to start, and that is with the cavalcade, pun, of news about the DC Extended Universe, namely that they seem to be missing a Superman. Who wants to start? Who wants to take this one? Terry, I know you I'll have thoughts it. about Henry Cavill. I do. So anybody who heard the live podcast understands my uh, slight issues with Henry Cavill's, what's the word, um, acting. This can't be a coincidence, can it? What, that I said you that and now against, he's not yeah. Superman? I mean, well, I am yeah. very powerful. So there are reports that he has 
walked away from the role of Superman? Well, but- so the Hollywood Reporter um, put out a report this week that said that he will not be in any future DC film. So apparently it broke down over a cameo in Shazam, which they both sides have put down to scheduling issues. And Warner Brothers put out a statement saying no kind of future films had been decided upon and they wished Henry Cavill well and thought he was a great actor, etc., etc. It certainly reads as though essentially we will not see Henry Cavill as Superman in any future DC films. And The Hollywood Reporter piece went one step further and said essentially it's part of a bigger DC shake-up. It didn't kind of say what that would look like, but certainly suggested that they are looking at ways to kind of, well, improve the DCEU going forward, I suppose. I think it's it's everybody knows that they've had challenges, both critically and commercially. Wonder Woman really is the only film so far that has met the expectations in the last five years, certainly, in terms of um, a critical response and box office. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this is terribly surprising. I mean, I have been quite open about, about the fact that in both BVS and Justice League, I thought um, Cavill was kind of the weakest thing in both uh, and that's in quite a tough field of competition neither film (laughs) set me on fire and I think he his performance in both wasn't great Um, and you know this hasn't been confirmed by anybody but the Hollywood Reporter tends to get these things quite right, so I think mm. we can presume that they are not moving forward together, whose decision that was, or whether they both just decided he and this character had run out of steam and it was key for them to be able to move the DCEU forward, for him to no longer be part of it, that they both came to that decision between them. What I will say is that his Instagram response was <laughs> phenomenal. So you're always expecting kind of a kind of quite terse, quite short official statement which says you know we don't we won't be commenting on this or or there are no plans at the moment or something not dissimilar to the warner brothers statement which essentially kind of confirms nothing but kind of doesn't deny anything at the same time instead he did this amazing instagram video where he's holding a figure a superman figure and there's like a waltz playing in the background. The blue, blue Danube. The Blue Danube, right? Some dogs barking. And he just like holds it up. And I think the caption said, interesting day. Oh, I didn't or, see the caption. Yeah, okay. it said, interesting day, hashtag um, Superman. I mean, that made me love him in a way that I hadn't done previously. You see a whole different side to him on Instagram. It's the same as, um, did anyone see when he shaved off finally had to shave off the um, the moustache the the Mission Impossible Fallout moustache and he did this whole like it was him like staring into the mirror and ruminating on all the good times that they'd had together and then (laughs) him finally doing the the, like the first uh, sweep of the razor he seems like a really funny guy and when you had him in for Justice League and he basically couldn't say that he was in the film but he was also right there promoting the film he I think there's a weird kind of sense of fun to him that obviously with the direction that the DCEU has taken those characters, we never really got to see in in his performances in those films, which is a, which is a shame. I, I'm, a, I'm a Henry Cavill defender. I think he is a fine actor. I think he's great in Mission Impossible Fallout. I think he has uh, hitherto untapped potential. Did you just say hitherto? <laughs> and I think that that potential wasn't realised in the three Superman movies. And I think that he wanted to play a sunnier, more optimistic, more Christopher Reeve version of Superman. And we got glimpses of that towards the end of Justice League. There was a course correction going on with that character. And uh, I think that he wanted to to play that going forward. I spoke to him officially for Mission Impossible Fallout, but we talked a little bit about Justice League and the fallout of, of that. And 
going forward because nothing had been announced. And you know that there's been a Man of Steel 2 knocking around for a long, long time and it's gone through a lot of potential directors in, in the past. Um, but I, I think that he really wanted to have his chance to put what he would imagine to be the definitive Superman on, on, on the big screen or, you know, the, the definitive modern Superman on the big screen. And I don't think he got that chance in Man of Steel, which has his moments, uh, but is largely dour. I just don't think that Zack Snyder ever got that character and he ever understood that character and the potential of that character and what that character stands for. And I think Cavill did and was always butting his head against that and just he was he was confined by Snyder's vision of the character. And he's barely in Justice League. Mm. Uh, but you do get glimpses of what he could be. And, and I'm a little bit... Uh, I'm a little bit sad about this, to be honest. There was a, there was a line in the in that Hollywood report uh, Hollywood Reporter feature which tickled me, and I I talked about it on Twitter, which said that uh, you know this something about the years of planning that goes into the DCEU. Really, mm-hmm. <laughs> years yes. of planning. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure that they still have a plan in place over there, uh, but not putting Superman, one of the crown jewels that they have, uh, at the center of things would be a surprise. I mean, maybe it would be. It would be beneficial for them to because so it sounds like as well as not necessarily pursuing a Superman film right now, they are going to forge ahead on Supergirl, and that maybe taking the approach that Marvel was forced to take in the early years, where they didn't have lots of the big head- headline characters that people already knew about, they had to take these uh, slightly kind of lesser known characters and then show people the potential of what these characters could be. Maybe DC will have more success in those areas, taking characters that wider audiences don't necessarily have this preconceived notion of and being able to to bring those to the screen in a way that might be surprising and new for people rather than just being a version of Superman and a version of Batman. Because coming up, we've got Shazam, which mm-hmm. well known in the comics universe and anyone who's been following it as Captain Marvel before Captain Marvel was Captain Marvel in the Marvel universe and that kind of thing. Uh, but that is largely new to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Aquaman Again, it's known of as a bit of a punchline, but has never been seen kind of on his own. Obviously, he was in the uh, Justice League and BVS. No, was he in BVS? Just a thing of BS. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it seems like DC are now kind of branching out to these other characters. We've still got Wonder Woman on the way. Yeah. We've got Aquaman, Shazam, yeah, but Supergirl. It's, all, it's also muddied because they're still pressing ahead with Wonder Woman. So Gal Gadot is still their Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be the center of this universe. And they've got Aquaman, however that turns out. And we all hope it's good. And they're still talking about um, Ezra Miller being the Flash mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a Flash movie, whatever that is, and that might even start filming next year. But now they're talking about recasting Superman, and they're talking about maybe recasting Batman. There's still no official word on whether Ben Affleck is out, but you'd have to imagine that if Matt Reeves is taking over and they're doing a new trilogy, they'll want to recast. And they've got all these standalone movies that they're planning on doing, the Joker movie that's, that's filming very, very soon with Joaquin Phoenix. And there doesn't seem to be a driving vision there and yeah. it could all get very very muddied if you do recast Superman and we haven't even discussed this yet the idea that uh, this this week in the wake of the Cavill news came reports that they are looking at recasting the role and one of the actors in fact the only actor's name that was on the that, that leaked was Michael B. Jordan which is really one to send those frothing internet racists into, into a fury mm. and for that reason and that reason alone <laughs> he, should, he should get the role but it just feels to me that if they have a new Superman 
but working with this Wonder Woman, how is that going to work? Well, what are they? I think you're right. You know? I think there's. I don't think there's a bigger strategy of move away from kind of the big main characters that have got mass market appeal that mm-hmm. they've had a few issues with in recent years, and they're focusing on these kind of much more core to the comic books, but not to the cinematic universe um, figures. I don't see that coming through at all. I think there are certain things in motion that they aren't really in a position to stop or want to stop. So Wonder Woman 1984, that will absolutely be, probably be another success for them Mm -hmm. um, commercially. We don't know enough to say whether it will be critically. But I think they think that both Batman and Superman at the moment, with the fans especially, something's gone terribly wrong and and those actors potentially can't be the people driving it through in the future. But as you say, I don't see the strategy of how that's working because... For me, if anything, the the universe is getting more fragmented. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different things tonally happening. You know, how does Shazam fit into all of this with with the kind of tone we're hearing that's going to take and the kind of tone from the comic books? Um, And then how are they going to reboot Superman and Batman if that's what they choose to do? Are are they going to make them less dark? Will they look at that tonal shift of bringing back the lightness, you know, with Superman, the innocence and the humanity that is has to be at the heart of Superman for that character to work, which has been lost in recent years? Do you have to go back to Grand Zero, but then how does that work with the rest of the universe? I, I agree with Chris. I think it's it's a real kind of muddled mess at the moment. And I don't know how, when you have things in different stages of production, you have things in pre-production, you have things that are still being talked about. And I don't know how you bring that universe back together in a cohesive way, because you can't just say stop, right? Which is maybe what they want to do, just go, right, just stop and start again. Mm. Um, so I don't know how you manage this through and pull it back, because the, mm. the one thing they have they don't have that the marvel universe have in spade is it is a cogent coherent universe under the vision of one man essentially and kevin feige ensures that everything kind of is 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 ridden through with the exact same tone the exact same feel it all makes sense it's telling one bigger story and that is still what the dc universe like and actually it's getting with this it feels like it's getting more fragmented and more problematic not less I've just, I've just remembered I'm actually on the podcast. <laughs> I was just about to say. I was like, oh, it's quite interesting. I could I'd say something. Um, although, I mean, actually, probably maybe it's just because I've begun with this. I'm not sure I really care a great deal, which um, <laughs> is a problem. But I'm going to speak anyway. Um, I didn't see Justice League uh, because my son had read Empire and usually he wants to see all the films, all the comic movies. And I said, Matt, do you want to go see it? And he was like... I've read that they changed directors part way through and I hear it's a bit all over the place. I think, though, in terms of the extended universe stuff, then part of the problem is trying to sort of run before you can walk because Marvel mm-hmm. had some false starts. So then Feige, Feige, Feige? Feige. 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 Um, Kev. Kev to you. Kev Mr. Boy. Feige to me. <laughs> um, he, he, you know, he did his thing and they've got this incredible universe now and um, everyone's very excited about it. I think maybe, like, let's just concentrate on making one good movie. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that to damn the other movies, because I actually quite enjoyed um, Batman vs Superman. I know that's not a hugely popular opinion, but I certainly loved the way it looked. I thought Larry Fong did a great job. But, um, yeah, just concentrate on one movie. And so maybe Shavan, maybe if that works... Shazam. Maybe that, Shazam. What <laughs> yes. did I say? Shavan. Shavan. Which is great. <laughs> I really I want to see. I would watch that film. <laughs> uh, maybe what Chris said. Maybe if that film um, is a success, that will point the direction for them. We'll see. Um, I'm really excited to see what Matt Reeves does with Batman because I thought he did an incredible job with um, the Apes, the last two Apes movies. I thought mm-hmm. they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think maybe, yeah, if they don't have someone who's got an overarching idea, well, it's hard. You know, they're trying to build the Sistine Chapel. Maybe they need to concentrate mm-hmm. on making a nice little semi-detached house with a garage. <laughs> <laughs> then add all the extensions. Yeah. and 
uh, see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to show you that we don't we don't always talk about superhero films on this podcast. I think this is fairly major news as these things go. We should talk about the fact that the Downton Abbey film started uh, this week. It actually started shooting. Mm-hmm bringing all the surviving cast uh, back together again. So you have Greg Evigan on board, uh, Paul Reiser, no way, that's my one dad, uh, my one dead dad. So everyone's back. Hugh Bonneville, Maggie Smith, and the other ones, they're all, uh, Jim Carter, <laughs> Deja Vu from Top Secret, he's back, and he's bringing his missus, Imelda Staunton is along as uh, part of the cast as well. So are we excited about this? Uh, what, do you, what do you call Downton Abbey fans? Abbey, Abbey Heads? Whatever they're called, mm. are you excited about this this news? Nope. I am excited to crash into it. Like anybody turning up to Infinity War as their first Marvel film, to rocking up to Downton Abbey the movie, having never seen a single episode of Downton Abbey and going, okay, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and where's Thanos? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's an interview coming up at some point on the pod. I spoke to uh, Matthew Good uh, recently, and he had. Recently, when I spoke to him, the day before, he had confirmed in an interview that he will be in the Downton Abbey movie. And then he told me the day after that he forgot that he wasn't supposed to tell anybody and that he has retracted that, but also that he is quite looking forward to going back. So, Matthew Good. Matthew Good's in the Downton Abbey movie. He is. Is a semi-exclusive. Semi-exclusive that he'd already said and then forgot that he wasn't allowed to say and then kind of tried to unsay it, but then also in unsaying it, re-said it. So, don't infer from this that I don't want Downton Abbey, Mm -hmm. but you said he's looking forward to coming back. So, is he already in the show? So, he, again, as somebody who's also never watched an episode, he was in the last series, he was in the second half of the last series, and he married one of the main characters <laughs> i love i love like just just like everyone's like i just don't i just really don't i can't even pretend to care um, like, i really just not even i mean although yeah, yeah. i mean i actually enjoyed the first series of downtown abbey then i was like oh yeah okay that's enough for me yeah, I, don't that, need to do. I don't need to watch it again that'll um, do and i watch i think michelle dockery is really talented i'd watch her in anything i thought she's great and godless she's in it as well um so she's back and yeah. that i don't know if that's going to be enough to get me to go to the cinema but it's mm-hmm. one that i you know i might Tolerate it at Christmas. I hear the emphasis is in the Maldives, so Nev. So, are you are you interested now? Do you change your mind? Well, as I said, I've watched all of Downton Abbey. <laughs> I have basically an encyclopedic knowledge because and I'm every very excited about it. every big TV show when it becomes a movie it has to take its cast on holiday, right? So, the Downton Abbey team going to the Maldives would be amazing. Downton Abbey on the buses. Downton Abbey on an eighteen to thirty holiday. <laughs> Maggie Smith on eighteen to thirty holiday. Actually, I would make that movie. That would be that would be yeah. good. Maggie Smith off her face on, on Blue Wicked. Do you have a wicked side, Dame Maggie Smith? Uh, the Empire Podcast. Come for the in-depth conversations about Superman. Stay for th- four people stumbling through a story about <laughs> Downton Abbey. Because there's not actually that much else is happening in the world of movie news this week. Well, can I talk a little bit about Jordan Peele maybe being in talks about Candyman? I feel mm. I don't... I, I can't stop you. So Which go, please, go I'm ahead. I'm very excited about... So, Jordan Peele, obviously one of the most exciting filmmakers, kind of working today. And what this story says is that he is in talks, not, it's not confirmed, it's not locked, for Candyman. And I think this is really exciting because I think to have a filmmaker of colour making this film or mm-hmm. looking to remake this film, yes. either remake, I'm not sure if it's a sequel, another sequel or a, a reboot. I'm not sure what, what like it would be. Yeah. But I think, you know, the way it deals with racial stereotypes and racial politics and American political history and, and you know, the layers to this film 
are huge. And I think to see that through his take, especially, you know, just the amazing work done by Get Out, um, I think really changed the the landscape for black filmmakers particularly. And I think this film through his eyes would be absolutely fascinating. I would love to see that. So I'm really excited about this if it comes off. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Candyman is a fascinating film. Now, have you revisited Candyman recently? Is I'm afraid it? I haven't, although um, this news did make me want to, and I agree yeah. with Terry. I think it sounds like a really exciting prospect. Yeah. Um, very. I mean, I know that people get very upset about remakes. I never really have a problem with it. If it's someone who's coming in, who's got an interesting idea. Absolutely. And he's, you know, get, I mean, he's producing it, isn't he? But I'm a, mm. you kind of hope he directs it, because I thought Get Out was obviously one of the best movies mm. of last year, mm. um, and I kind of just keep on watching it. Yeah, it's really interesting, Candyman. If you go back and, and revisit it, uh, it's got so many layers and so much texture going on as well. And I should also mention uh, news that excited me today. Uh, Cynthia Erivo um, is going to star in a story, a film about the life of Harriet Tubman, who uh, was an incredible figure in American history. She was uh, born into slavery in the 19th century in the States, escaped from slavery, and became an abolitionist, a political activist, and actually was really active in uh, underground missions, missions on the Underground Railroad to free uh, slaves in the States as well, became a spy in the American Civil War. Uh, it's uh, an incredible story, and Cynthia Erivo will next be seen on the uh, big screen in Bad Times at the El Royale and Steve McQueen's Widows. And British actress, uh, incredible voice, won a Tony for the Color Purple uh, Broadway musical. And uh, it is going places fast, I would say. So look out for that one next year. It'll be Oscar bothering for sure. Yeah, I think she's one of our most exciting new actresses. I mean, just having those two films out within the space of a month. And I think she actually did uh, Widows first and then Bad Times, um, both of which are phenomenal roles for her. And as you say, she's got an incredible career on the stage. She was in Broadway for years. She sings, you know, Drew Goddard, um, the director of Bad Times, just talked about how she sings live throughout the entire film. She's, you know, I think what they call a double threat. In Widows, she is absolutely phenomenal and she is an incredible dramatic actress. Time now then to segue from an up-and-coming actor to two actors who've been, well, dazzling us on the big screen for decades. They are two absolute ruddy legends. They are the stars of this week's heist thriller King of Thieves. They need almost no introduction. One of them is Ray Winston. I have a bang on that. The other one is Sir Michael Caine. Sir Morris Micklewhite. Unbelievable. And they came into the pod booth this week and I had a chat with them about all sorts of stuff. But because it's me, we start off talking about Jim Broadbent's naked arse and pissing in sinks. Sorry about that. Anyway, enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by two ruddy legends, Ray Winston, Michael Caine. How are you, sirs? We're great, aren't yeah, we? Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. yeah. Is that... Uh, <laughs> Good. Yeah, you're supposed to do that. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a podcast, right? You need yeah. to make well, that's how these things yeah. work. Yeah. You know, it's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, Excellent. Good. Excellent. Right. I was on tenterhooks there for a second. <laughs> you have done so much, both of you, in your storied careers, but there's something that you do in this film, and I'm sure you've never done before, Ray. You have to inject uh, Jim Broadbent's burr arse. Yeah, he's got a lovely bum. Yeah? Had you seen it before? Was that something... No, I haven't had that pleasure before, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I might see it again. <laughs> yeah. I, a... I tried to get a photograph of it, but... <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Jim Broadbent... That, that's actual Jim Broadbent's... That's his 
That's his bum, right? That's his real bum. That's yeah. his real bum. Yeah, yeah. 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 I wasn't there on that day. They, 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 they kept me out. Kept <laughs> Do you know what? He was so good, I think he's had a bum lift. Has he had a bum lift? <laughs> I've got a feeling he has, you know. I saw a girl on the papers had a bum lift and she died. No. Yeah. She died of a bum lift. How? They must have brought it too high and suffocated her. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in. That is staying in. <laughs> no, it's and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's that's real Jim Broad butt. That's his actual bottom. That's good. Yeah. That's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Michael, you get to watch whilst naked in the shower, Michael Gambon having a piss in a sink. Mm. Yeah. Now, this, yeah. What was going through your mind as as that happened? I'm sure he was just pretending, but still, what was going through my mind was. Thank God the glass is steamed. Because <laughs> I was in the shower and the glass was steamed. And I couldn't see it because I, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather not see than well, that. Well, you told me the other day about that because it's, it's so far from the stage, the toilet and the theatre, that a lot of actors wee in the sink. Oh, but actors... So that's we why could, you never wash your face in the sink. No, no really? I never wash my face in the sink because actors are always nervous. And when you're nervous, you intend, you're inclined to pee. Yeah. You know, uh, and if you're in little cheap theatres, if uh-huh. you're a big actor and, and you've got a great dressing room, you've got a, a toilet of your own. But if you're young, when you're a young actor, you're in these crap theatres uh-huh. and the toilet's right down the end of the bleating corridor, uh-huh. you know, and you, 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 you want to pee very quickly, so you pee in the sink. So I, I never wash my face in the sink. <laughs> and I don't wash it in the toilet either. <laughs> so just go on stage, so unwashed. Just have a shower and lift my face up. <laughs> right, I can't believe I'm asking you this. Uh, have you ever peed in the sink uh, when you got on stage? or, or uh, Not when I got on stage. I'm no. more, yeah, probably. I mean, some of the toilets you go in are disgusting, you yeah. know? Yeah. And you, 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 you're caught short, you know? Yeah. So... Um, You'll open up the door, it's not been clean, it's horrible, and bump, 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 so the sink's got to get it, I'm afraid. So yeah. we should start a campaign to have, what, yeah. the theatres of Britain clean up their toilets? Yeah, they should keep all a, of them. Yeah, some of no, them, are, some right. them are good. No, okay. but they should make the sinks a bit lower, because some are a bit too high. <laughs> and you have to stand on tiptoe, don't yeah, you? you? can't yeah, flop yeah, it yeah, up. You can't get it over, <laughs> yeah. We can also do that as well. So you guys last worked on a film together, correct me if I'm wrong on this, on uh, Last Orders, in which, yeah. you, Ray, you were playing Michael's son. son. Yeah. Obviously, it's been, a, it's been a while since that film was shot. Have you tried to work together since? Have you, know, have you been no, never worked together since? since yeah. no. no, you no. don't try to work together. You yeah, get to work together. Yeah. You know, and yeah. when you see each other, you're pleased to see each other. But movies are so geographic. You know, you, you know I, I, I made loads of pictures in Hollywood. I, I go to Los Angeles once every five years, you know. So I, I see people I know, but I haven't seen them for five years. Yeah. You know, and then we have dinner and, that, and then I go away again. I don't see them for another ten years. Yeah, it's, a fun, it's a funny old game, this. Yeah. Because... In a way, it's the only business I think I know anyway that you can have a mate that you really like on a job and you might not see him for five to ten years. Mm. But because you both understand the business you're in, they're working in Vancouver, you're working in Australia or whatever, that when you see one another for five or ten years, it's like you saw him yesterday and you pick up. Yeah, you pick up where you left off, yeah, Yeah. instantly. It's quite weird. Is that you two you picked up right where you left off? Oh, we did. I mean, everybody, we all all knew, on this movie, we all knew each other from somewhere somewhere else, (laughs) you know. Uh, I'd work with with, with Tom, but I'd work work with uh, some, uh, who uh, anyway the, no uh, uh, the Jim Broadbent Jim Broadbent yeah, yeah. Catch it, you just continue mm. 
And it, it, that's why this movie was such a wonderful movie to make because you're working with fabulous actors, really fabulous actors, and they're all friends of yours, mm. you know, and you know each other very well. And in three or four cases in this movie, I'd work with the people I was working yeah. with. And, of course, you're watching them work as well. In between those years, you're seeing their films that they're making. What they've done and how yeah, they've yeah, made yeah. out. And yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. When this, this is obviously based on the Hutton uh, Gardens heist that took place in yeah. 2015. I mean, this has been turned around very, very quickly. Um, and do you remember where you were when you heard about it? And Ray, I understand the character you play, yeah. Danny. Yeah. You actually sat beside at school. Yeah, but I didn't know he'd done it when okay. he came on the news. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't phone me up and tell me. You know? <laughs> like you're the one phone call. I need a phone call. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I remember yeah. it happening and uh, I, I have no idea where I was. I, I, think, I, I think I might have been in the city. In okay. the city of London at the time. So you have an alibi, is what you're saying. Yeah, I know, yeah, I'll, I'll make one, don't worry. Um, I think I was in the city of London at the time, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I remember the stories and I remember it coming on about Russian gangsters or Albanians, or it might be the IRA, but it's very technique. You know, it's about computers and how they got in and all this. And people start, because you start thinking, I wonder who that was, I wonder who done that. I wonder who was clever enough to get in there and do the business. And and then it was it was a good time after when it when they yeah, started yeah. going they pulled someone in from north london they pulled another one in you went oh where's this going and then when it came out that they were 60 70 75 year old men yeah it was like i guess it was like england doing really well in the world cup it was kind of <laughs> you know the economy seemed to go up people were happy and it was, it was like oh, oh, you know the best of british we can still do it you know it wasn't albanians and it wasn't yeah. russians it was it was just these old boys yeah. who were british and i you know i'm making light of that uh, but in a way there's something about brits that we have that kind of mentality where we go well done son yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. we do that. You know, yeah. I think everyone was sad when they got caught. <laughs> well, <laughs> in a weird you know, way. and but people start no, saying, when, when, "When I saw it, and, and eventually when they got caught, and I saw who they were—a load of old cockneys—and yeah. I went, wait a minute, this the leading one is a seventy-three-year-old cockney thief, right? I wonder who they're going to ask to play." Him. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I bet they do. I bet they do, and they did. <laughs> and I did it, and I'm so pleased I did. Yeah. So you, when you, you just waited for the phone to ring, and it just yeah, it, the it phone rang. rang, and they yeah. and they said, "You want to read the script?" I said, "No, don't worry about it." <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ray, you obviously knew Danny. Yeah. Uh, had you spoken to him since? Did you go? Yeah, I, I, I went to visit him, um, not because I needed to know anything about him, because yeah. I know all about him anyway, and um, I went just purely, really, out of respect, you know, for an old friend. Yeah. Say, so, look, gonna do the movie. How'd you feel about that? And yeah. he was fine with that. And yeah. we had a, we caught up on old times when we were kids. And yeah. my mum, his family, and his wife now Val. Wow. And you know, and it was it was you know you're not talking about a gangster. You're talking about a thief. Yeah, they're different. They yeah. are different people in a way. They're criminals, and they he understands. He got caught, and he has to do. He has to pay that. Mm. And that's that's fine, but you sit down, you're talking to a normal run-of-the-mill guy mm. who happens to be a thief, you know, and mm. that's what he does, and he knows that. And, and, Michael, and he accepts did, that, yeah. And did you, did you base uh, Brian on anyone in particular? Did you speak to the real Brian, or did you base him on people that maybe you knew growing oh, up? No, I, 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 just, I based him on just people that I knew. I came from the Elephant and Castle. Yeah. You know, I, I, I knew 20 people like that, you know. So, uh, and also I'm... I'm, I'm a Cockney 
I'm yeah. I'm not middle aged. I'm eighty five. I'm over the top, but at least you know I, I played. He was seventy three when he did it, but I wore a lot of makeup, so I got away with it. <laughs> Looking good. It's looking good. Michael, you did a few years ago, you did something that's always stuck in my memory, uh, which was an acting masterclass on yeah. TV. You, you taught your students not to blink during yeah. scenes. Uh, why, why was that? And how do you still do that? Do you still not you, blink you, during you, scenes? You don't know it, but real people, when they're actually talking to you, don't blink until mm-hmm. they finish their point. The more you blink, if you, I mean, if you, if you want to play someone really weak, you blink a lot. Yeah. You know, and don't change... Eyes like I'm, do, I'm. I'm doing this to you, and I'm going from eye, eye to eye. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the the most important thing with your eyes in a movie is if I, I'm doing the camera's there, uh-huh. you're doing a close up on me, right? Uh-huh. Just a close up on me, and I'm talking to you. Now, when I'm talking to you, and I'm actually doing it right now, my eye here is talking to your left eye. Yeah. This eye is looking at you, uh-huh. but it, it, it's on the camera. <laughs> and that's the trick. I like and it. I, Marlena Dietrich taught me that. Oh it's my amazing. God! I, you know, I met her at a party. Where was it? For Liza Minnelli and Marlena Dietrich. I said to Marlena Dietrich, "Why are you here? It's Liza's birthday." Uh-huh. She said, "I'm her godmother," <laughs> and she was. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That is it's incredible. got nothing to do with this picture, but I just thought I'd tell No, you. no, no, listen, that yeah. is the best name we've ever had dropped on the Emperor podcast. Oh, I'm a good, uh, that was a, oh, that was a <laughs> great, no, no, let me, let me tell you, this was the greatest name dropping thing. I, right. I said, I said, Rex Harrison gave a party for Liza Minnelli when she was with Peter Sellers. You yeah. know, and I went there and I met Marlena Dietrich, and it was he's, he's name dropping all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, amazing. But Ray, feel happy to uh, to drop a name any 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 second now. You just want to, you know, no, do that doesn't come near me. Can you can you top Marlena Dietrich? No, how could you? How you can't top? <laughs> you can't. You can't. It's a liberty, isn't it? John Wayne. <laughs> but John Wayne. Oh, there we go. Here we go. Here we go now. John Wayne said to me one. He said, "Kid, you're going to be famous," and he said, "Let me give you some advice." He said. Talk low, talk slow, and don't say too much. <laughs> and never wear suede shoes. I said, what? <laughs> I said, what? He said, never wear suede shoes. I said, why not? He said, because as I told you, you're going to become famous. He said, you're going to be in the gents taking a pee. He said, the guy next to you is going to go, Michael Caine, pee all over your shoes. <laughs> So never wear suede shoes. And I never did wear suede shoes. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, Marlena Dietrich and uh, John Wayne, I, yeah. I think we may I have to stop. be walking into the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> or the sink. It's been a lot of toilet talk in this conversation. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. It. I know. I yeah, just feel it's like your fault. I drag everything down to the gutter level. Uh, yeah. Ray, you do something very brave in this film as well, uh, in that you do not to Michael's face, but you do a Michael Caine impersonation. Yeah, I was surprised at myself, actually. <laughs> I didn't know I was that talented. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, was that just something you, you improved on the day? Yeah, just something on the day. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. He does it very well. You are probably yeah. the most impersonated person yeah. in the world. I am, yeah, yeah. But I can do it as well. He said, my name is Michael Caine. Not with people know that. <laughs> That's the second That's best a good one. one it was pretty good. The best one I've ever heard, Tom Hanks. Okay. You know, American actor. Tom yeah, yeah, Hanks. I'm aware of him. Yeah, he, he does it. And, and when you consider he's got a Cockney accent, and he's an American. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. We've had him on the show, but I've never had him do a Michael. Well, when you get him again, ask him to do me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember? But I the- can't do Tom Hanks. 
He's very difficult to do. He's difficult to do because he changes a, you. Yeah, he's kind of a yeah, nondescript yeah, voice. Yeah, it's, yeah but it's mm. fine. Uh, do you remember the first time you heard someone do you? And was it weird? Did you initially take offence? Yeah, I was pissed off because it was it was sort of stupid because they, they they sort of did. My name is Michael K. <laughs> Not people know that. And I went. I said to my missus, "Do I really?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ray, uh, do you hear people do impressions of you, or would no one dare? No, I know people do. Um, uh, it does. It's a form of flattery in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it is a form. Yeah, of, it yeah. is. Yeah. It's, it's nice. It's all right. Absolutely. Uh, Anthony Hopkins does a good one of me. <laughs> yeah, he really? does. He yeah. did. It. He did you for me. Yeah, did he? Yeah, <laughs> he, he does one. He, he does the nice one for me, and he does the horrible <laughs> one to everyone else. Yeah. So I've heard Ben Kingsley do a great Anthony Hopkins impression. So is there just a uh, Ben Kingsley? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. does. Yeah, I oh, he does. I a, like Ben very well. Yeah. yeah. He does a good one. He's an amazing. So is there like a, just a circle of people in Everybody Hollywood imitating each other? Yeah. Well, Gary Oldman's very good. Yes. Taking people off. He's, he's brilliant. Gary Oldman's yeah. very good. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, lots of people, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He could be a professional in person, impressionist. Yeah. yeah. Not to give too much away, but obviously this movie is based on, on real events. And uh, the end of the movie is very interesting because we see glimpses of your younger selves from, from previous films. And uh, Ray, yours, you're, we see a glimpse of you from Scum. Yeah, from Scum, yeah. And uh, Michael, what well, you're, you're... I've never seen it because I saw an early version of the movie uh-huh. and they hadn't put it in yet. Okay. Yeah, so I've never seen it. Okay. I think yours is from the Ipcris Ipcris Ipcrisfo. Oh, uh, yeah. Ah, yes, yes, uh, yes. Harry Palmer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is there any chance, because the films are not out until uh, Friday, is there any chance you could have it replaced with Muppet Christmas Carol? Because <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, I love Muppet's Christmas Carol. Cause I love have it. three grandchildren, mm-hmm. and they watch it every, every Christmas. It comes out every Christmas. It's the only time I ever sang in a movie. Oh, yeah. It's I have the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I thought know, you I might. Was never asked <laughs> I was never asked again. Gents, uh, a good note on which to end. It's been a pleasure. Ray Winston. Pleasure, thank you very thank much. Thank you Michael very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Okay, so that was Michael Caine and Ray Winston, and now it is time to talk about this week's movies. What's coming out at the multiplexes? Uh, Where should we start? Should we start with the phenom that is Crazy Rich Asians? Terry. Yes, Crazy Rich Asians, which, as you say, has been a massive hit in the States and is finally out here this week. So it is the story of um, Nick, who is the amazing Henry Golding, who invites his girlfriend of a year, Constance Wu, who was obviously on earlier, um, Rachel and she invite he invites her to a wedding in Singapore, a family wedding. What he doesn't tell her, and she starts to kind of get the hints of, is that his family are not just crazy rich, but the richest people in the country. Which she kind of gets the hint when they're on a, a not a private jet so much, but in a massive. It's first class, like I've never seen it. It's basically like a house on a plane, and you which travel is first class. First, and I mean, I, like daily. Yeah. So that's her first clue. And then she gets there and meets the family and it is insane levels of money. And it becomes apparent that not just his family, but quite a lot of people um, around them and around the family and his friends maybe don't think she's quite good enough for him. And that's the kind of basic story. It is, I have to say straight off the bat, one of the best romantic comedies I've seen in years. And I think Holly Richards actually says in our review that it's it's one of the best of the decade, and I have to agree. The performances across the piece are just incredible. Constance Wu is just brilliant. 
And it is a little bit slow at the start, I have to say, um, but the gags start coming and they go thick and fast. And it is genuinely so funny. It's so well written. And it actually does what most romantic comedies um, used to do really well and I feel like they've lost their way on, which is it has proper moments of of meaningful drama and it really um, touches you in places. And it starts to get into things about how Asian culture travels, particularly in America, um, about the role of tradition um, in the modern world. It, it deals with some proper stuff as well. But it is also, I mean, just really, really funny. So Aquafina, who obviously you mentioned earlier, is the standout performance in the entire film. I mean, just there were bits where um, I was crying with laughter, which never happens. As you know, I normally cry with Stony with fast. immense sadness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she is just, I mean, phenomenal. But the cast across the whole piece is remarkable. And with such a big cast of characters and with, uh, you know, it's uh, this ensemble and with so many kind of individual stories being told, it would be easy for this film to get a little bit muddled and lost. But I have to say, um, the director, John M. Chu, who kind of has a couple of step-up movies and some Justin Bieber live films kind of in his filmography, keeps hold of these characters and these narrative threads with such precision and with such confidence that you never lose your way in this film, that you never feel overwhelmed by everything happening. The cinematography is lush and rich and the the kind of convincing nature of how rich they are, um, the ambition and the scale of this film, it's just rendered so well visually on screen. Um, so I really, really, really loved this film. It really surprised me in that I I didn't expect it to be as, um, as emotional, as genuinely funny or as well-written as it was. And I think it reminded me of... Of um, rom-coms of, of years past, more like your When Harry Met Sally kind of rom-com, which mm-hmm. is, it's just a really well-made, really well-scripted, really um, a film with fantastic performances and takes me back to the glory days of rom-coms and made me feel sad that those rom-coms aren't made more often these days and it's become a genre which people sneer at too easily um, or don't show it the respect that it once kind of garnered. I mean, it's just joyous, isn't it? Joyous. It's, it's two hours of pure joy at the cinema. I, it's the sort of film as well. We always talk about what uh, kind of empire films are, and this is a big mainstream film that you will go out and you will come out two hours later just thinking that was that was a great movie. It was just a really purely enjoyable movie that has a lot of interesting things going on under the surface that you can read into, um, a lot of stuff that, that Terry's touched on, but also you'll just come out thinking that was great that I had such a good time and the the actors are so charming Constance Wu Henry Golding uh, I was sat next to uh, Ollie Gibbs at the press screening for this and he turned around to me at the end and he was like oh Henry Henry Golding for Bond and I was <laughs> like I can I can see that he's so suave he's so slick and he's so he's such a caring character um and uh, one thing that I really like in Ollie Richards review that he picked out was that he is that the film you you believe that it's kind of a problem for Rachel that her boyfriend is like massively rich because the, I was thinking before going in also like her the problem is that like he's massively rich and like what what's why is that a problem <laughs> but then actually I think it, the film does a really good job of justifying that it looks amazing it's so visually vibrant and lavish and oh my god there's a scene early on where they have just arrived in singapore and they go out to a a market for some street food and they sit down on the table and it's just a like a a table full of all this amazing looking food and they just this is like a food film as well Mm. i came out Mm. absolutely 
ravenous. It's an everything film. It made, me wonder, everything. it made me want to immediately go to Singapore. Yeah. Oh, and, I'm obsessed and, with that massive hotel that's the sort of like three spires oh yeah. with the big boat thing on top. That's I like can't afford to stay there, but I, I can probably walk past it. Mm-hmm. That's probably what I can do. But uh, yeah, it's full of fast cars and lavish locations and great clothes and Aquafina being mm-hmm. funny. Uh, I thought this movie was a lot of fun. I was slightly skeptical about it because I thought it was just going to be a big big broad uh, comedy going in. And it is that. Uh, but you're, as you say, Terry, it does have a little bit more than people might expect. Um, I really enjoyed the central relationship between Constance Wu and Henry Golding, who, yes, should be being looked at. I mean, here's the thing. Going, I think Henry Cavill is now freed up to be the next Bond. But if they want to go elsewhere... I think Henry Golding with this and with next week's A Simple Favour, which are his first films, astonishingly, are his first films, uh, has put his hat very much in the ring. It made me laugh a lot. Uh, It even affected me emotionally towards the end a little bit. There's a a little punch. But, you know, for me, it's it's just a fun rom-com that um, I had a lot of, I had a really good time with. Maybe not quite as much as you guys, but I enjoyed it a lot. It's a real crowd pleaser, that's for sure. Yeah, I think your enthusiasm for it makes me want to go and see it again, which is not that I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it a a lot, you know, but I was probably not transported in quite the same Mm -hmm. way. Mm. But listening to you talk about it, I'm like, I think that might be my failing and not the films. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, I think the thing I enjoyed the most about it was um, the leads. I just thought Mm. they were just charming, and I couldn't Mm. believe it when I found out that it was his his debut and it was a TV presenter, because I thought, similarly... There's a moment in the movie where I'm like, hang on, this guy could be, he could be James Bond. Like, he's got that kind of presence to him, a real charisma to him, a little bit of Cary Grant to him. Yeah. Um, and so I just really enjoyed watching them. And also, the, the issues talk about romantic comedies not getting enough respect, and I think that's probably, mm. yeah, it's completely underestimated how hard this stuff is to do. You know, there's a reason we don't have very many good ones anymore. Um, mm. It's because it's incredibly, incredibly difficult to do that and mm. to leave the cinema feeling uplifted rather than necessarily thrilled or shaken or having seen spectacle, although this is a beautiful movie. But to leave with a grin, is um, I think that's a great thing to be able to do. Can I just point out, though, that for a film that celebrates opulence and lavishness and, and, and being insanely crazy rich, I had a real problem with the film's choice of fonts, uh, which are the, <laughs> probably the cheapest font I've seen in a long, long time. The title, because uh, the title card comes up and... You see different places coming up on screen. You see inter, uh, uh, intertitles all the way through the film. And it just looks like they did it on the last day. That They just <laughs> ran out of money. They had no more cash left. And they just went to Fonts R Us and got the <laughs> cheapest one they could. And it took me right out of the movie. And therefore, I have deducted four stars from the film. <laughs> it is now a one-star film. Just get your fonts right, people. Come on, it's not that difficult. Four stars then for Crazy Rich Asians. And next we move seamlessly on to Shane Black's the Predator, which I have to confess, for a while was a hugely exciting prospect for me. Has he nailed it? Has he delivered? Uh, yes and no. So this is uh, Shane Black writing and directing a Predator film. This is his return to the franchise because he was actually uh, he was in the first film. He was the first victim uh, of the Predator in uh, the original Arnie film. Hawkins. Hawkins. Uh, so. Yeah, this is uh, Shane Black's take on this kind of uh, classic franchise, which is beyond its glory years, really. Um, it's eight gl- years gl- since... Gl- glory year. Glory year. <laughs> <laughs> as, much, as much as I like Predator 2 mm-hmm. and Predators, mm-hmm. there's one... There's one classic, is There's isn't one. There? 
really good Predator film. And sadly, uh, f- for me, uh, it does remain that way. So our, our way into this is uh, Boyd Holbrook's character. He plays Quinn McKenna. Uh, he's an army guy whose mission uh, at the start of the film gets interrupted by the classic Predator who shows up. In the aftermath of uh, this attack, Boyd Holbrook's character is convinced nobody will believe him, but then something altogether bigger and badder uh, comes to Earth. So for me, I found the first kind of 20 minutes, half an hour of this really kind of fun and engaging. It uses really kind of classic Predator music, and obviously Shane Black knows the original Inside Out, and he he's the 80s guy. He knows how to do that kind of um, the propulsive the fun kind of sci-fi action uh, and you get kind of bits of the classic kind of uh, Shane Black banter that you want from that. Mm-hmm. It's slightly tricky around the kind of middle part of the film. For me, it started to become quite muddled. They reshot a lot of the final act of the film and they were kind of changing things around. And for me, it, it still kind of bears quite a few of those scars just in that it never quite cuts a through line of this plot in a really clean way. It's kind of lots of things happening and there are elements of the plot all the way through but it's it doesn't feel like a cleanly told story but what you do get is some really um fun performances i think sterling k brown is really good uh olivia munn is really engaging and in fact bold boyd holbrook who uh up until now for me has been a bit of a just a nothingy kind of i just didn't really have any sense of who he was i actually thought he held this down but for me the considering this is a Shane Black film for me the action wasn't quite where I wanted it to be the lines weren't as funny as I maybe wanted them to be and it has a few it has some kind of interesting ideas in it but for me it never kind of came to a cohesive whole Nev what did you think of this? I thought it was kind of a movie that's very much of its time and its time is 1987 Um, I felt like it was kind of tonally in that kind of universe yeah it is more lighthearted than the first one but the first one has a lot of kind of fairly crude banter going on throughout I watched it the other week I thought it was kind of a Friday night movie, by which, you know, in the sense that it starts really well and good fun. At some point, I thought I'd maybe blacked out, and then at the end, I was just glad to get home. Um, the, um, there was a point in the, in the middle where I did genuinely think, I haven't been drinking. Mm. Why don't I know what's going on? Um, can, well, can but, I just, we're not going to spoil a special for this one, but can I just say that there is a, a major death that happens in this film that I completely missed because for me, the last 20 minutes of this film is so scattershot and all over the place. I genuinely came out of the film going, what happened to Redacted's character? And someone said, oh, they died. I went, when? <laughs> and, went, and I just completely missed it. And I feel that that's symptomatic of this film's flaws. But I, thought, I mean, I do think, I mean, it's kind of like someone decided to make mash up E.T., with Predator, sort of, some of it was a bit like Amblin-y, and and I kind of liked it. I was kind of, this is interesting. I don't know what's going on. I really liked some of the performances. I liked Boyd um, Holbrook. I thought he was he grounded things quite well. Um, I really liked uh, Travanti Rhodes. Yeah, um, great. I thought he was tremendous, mm. and I thought it was nice to see him doing something so different from Moonlight. Um, and I sort of so I liked that back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I just got a little bit lost in it, and I don't say that with any kind of relish. Yeah. I, I was really rooting for it. Um, I kind of ha- I had fun with it. I thought, you know, some of this, some of the humour is going to be is questionable and is going mm-hmm. to divide people. Um, it wasn't a disaster for me. Doesn't make me hungry for the sequel that they evidently want. So I'm kind of not dissimilar to her, Nevy. So I actually liked some of the tone of it, and I did enjoy the complete absurdity. It was so over the top at points that I kind of like the fact that um, Shane Black went all in on it. It mm-hmm. was so absurd. The, the brutality, the gore, 
the blood. It was kind of, it became almost funny at some point, which I didn't actually mind terribly. Some of the banter, and I use the word banter specifically, <laughs> uh, can get to challenging places. But I liked, I, it felt very retro. It felt quite like 80s, 90s, full, unabashed, ridiculous action film. It kind of mm. fell into that little groove for me. I missed the exact same bit that you missed as yeah. well, yeah. Um, which I've, I only discovered when we got back to the office. But I think it is too, the the editing loses its way in the last third. It is so frenetic and so all over the place. Some of the cuts, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep track of what was happening from a narrative perspective, from a character perspective. Yeah. And I kind of just gave up in the last... I was like, I'm just going to have to go with this because I'm, I'm just going to give up trying to keep track of anything, um, which I'm not sure is what you should be doing mm. in a film. Um, but I came out of it, I kind of enjoyed myself, I think a little bit more than and than some of the other people. I did enjoy it and I did have a good time and I think you're exactly right. I think if I went to see that on a Friday night at the pictures... I would have quite a nice time with it. But I think it is definite kind of fundamental challenges and flaws from a mm. filmmaking perspective. I think it would depend entirely for me on how much money I'd paid. If yes. I went to see it for a cheap midweek matinee, perhaps, yeah. then I'd be okay with it. But if I'd shelled out the full, uh, we're in London, so what, how much did it go to see a, a film to cinema? Quid. Yeah, uh, £145. Yeah, £700. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I'd done that, if I'd given up my month's wages to see the film, I might be a little sore. It, it, it feels to me... And I really wanted to love this film because I love the Predator franchise. I will even go to bat all day long for Predators. <laughs> and I, I love Shane Black. I worship the guy. I think he is one of the best screenwriters around and has been for a long, long time. I think he can he can do things with dialogue that uh, other screenwriters just grasp at. Um, and I don't really feel that... I don't feel that this movie brought those two worlds together. I don't think that this is a very successful Predator movie. I think I think it's meant to be pronounced, honestly, Lee Predator. Uh, everyone's been pronouncing it Le Predator. But the idea of the movie is that this ultra super Predator turns up halfway through. He's 12 feet tall and makes the, the classic Predator look like uh, you know, just a, a toy doll. Uh, I don't think that character is very compelling and I don't think it works very well as a Predator film. And I don't think it works necessarily well as a Shane Black movie as well. Co-wrote it with Fred Decker, with whom he co-wrote The Monster Squad all those years ago as well. Yes, Black and Decker. And, and if I can extend that analogy, it feels like it hasn't been fully assembled. Yay! Um, it just feels like a little bit... He's got so many spinning plates. And he's deliberately chosen to do that. So you have the Olivia Munn subplot, you have the Jacob Tremblay subplot, you have the uh, Sterling K. Brown subplot, then you have Boyd Holbrook and his gang who call himself the Loonies who feel like the most like a nod to the original Predator and they, mm. each of them have character quirks there's some lovely banter and I really actually enjoyed the, the relationship between Tom Jane's character and Kika Michael Key's character uh, which was very very nice uh, I thought Trevante Rhodes blew Boyd Holbrook off the screen when he appeared if I'm completely honest but I like Boyd Holbrook fine um, but I was kind of go thinking to myself I want to see the film with Trevante Rhodes in the lead to be honest it just didn't feel like it ever came together for me it feels muddled and it feels like a film that bears all the hallmarks of major reshoots I've waited a long time for a Shane Black Predator movie. The sad thing is, I think I still am. Three stars then for The Predator. And we're going to finish off our reviews this week with King... King of Thieves. King of Thieves. Which is Michael Caine. Try to rub. I didn't do this to Michael Caine. So I didn't have the nerve. Uh, this is Michael Caine and a bunch of old lags, including Jim Broadbent, who gets his arse out. I can't stress that enough. Trying to steal some diamonds. Based on a true story. We all know this happens. We all know... That they got caught, 
but the devil is in the details. And this is James Marsh's film. What did we make of this? Uh, yes, yeah, so as, as you've said, this is the uh, uh, one of many adaptations already of the Hatton Garden heist. There's been a few kind of straight-to-DVD or lower-budget ones. This is the the bigger-budget budget version with a, uh, a top cast. So King of These is it's a film that really plays into the instant mythologizing of of the uh, Hatton Garden heist of how how brazen it was and how old school it was and then the reveal when it was kind of actually a bunch of old aging crooks who were behind it that that really caught the public imagination and I think when people found that out everyone started imagining this potential Guy Ritchie style kind of crime heist film and basically what you get here is uh, a story about a, a group of crooks kind of towards the end of their of their lives and in their kind of lives of crime being played by a group of these beloved Brit actors who are coming back for one final round of a big kind of group uh, crime heist movie. So you've got uh, Michael Caine, he's the ringleader of the group, uh, Brian Reeder, who uh, his wife has just passed away and she is somebody who kind of pulled him away from that life of crime and whose conscience is very much still in his head telling him that he should stay on the straight and narrow. But he gets pulled into the idea of doing this heist by the youngest member of the crew, uh, played by Charlie Cox, who um, sees this opportunity opportunity in in Hatton Garden where there's millions and millions and millions of pounds of jewels and gold and all the good stuff oh, uh, good so stuff. they uh, they assemble a team including uh, Jim Broadbent and you get you get evil Jim Broadbent in this yeah. you get mean nasty Jim Broadbent dropping sea bombs like there's no tomorrow you'd Drop like him you'd like him a lot Ben actually he well, swears yeah. it up a storm I was going to say like me on the podcast this week this is yeah. unexpectedly sweary potty uh, mouth Broadbent uh, so you get uh, bad Jim Broadbent you get to- uh, Tom Courtney who's doing his whole kind of slightly daffy thing uh, Ray Winston being the hard nut uh, Paul White House, who's just kind of there for the ride, and then you get Michael Gambon uh, showing up occasionally as Billy the Fish, who's the fence, not the character from the Fizz, not the character from the Fizz. No. But this is King of Thieves is basically it's just a, an effective retelling of the story. Um, I mean, aside from the basics, I didn't really know some of these smaller details of, of how the crime went ahead, and uh, it's fun and it kind of rattles along. You get these good performances, you get what you want from that cast uh, being brought together. If you want to see them all kind of bickering while they're trying to pull off a crime, that that's what this film is. But the problem that I had with it more was that it doesn't really do anything to make a point about the Hatton Garden robbery, and it it does reach for it. So the first half of the film, when they're trying to uh, trying to pull off the robbery, is that kind of slightly more breezy knockabout. They're more kind of bantering with each other, uh, with a bit of drama kind of underlying in the background, and then the tone shifts more in the second half where the film kind of really wants to remind you that like, oh, and they're all twinkly-eyed, all criminals. It's all these kind of um, people that you love, but they are they are criminals. They're the bad guys. They're kind of cowardly and paranoid and, vic- and vindictive. And uh, there's times as well where it, even kind of during the heist, they're cracking kind of slightly homophobic jokes. And mm-hmm. I think what the film struggles to do is is convey what it wants you to think about these people because I think in the first half it, it wants you to like them and in the second half it reminds you that they're that they're not really nice people and that they they're actually mm-hmm. kind of but it doesn't land that final punch and I felt as well that surely there's there's something to say in this story of of what what the Hatton Garden Heist means about about Britain where Britain's at or is there something about this kind of the whole point is that they are men out of time and you see that especially through the second half of the film and even in some of the kind of more inappropriate humor that they are they are not of this era but it doesn't really make a point about that I thought that would be something that would be really interesting especially I don't know maybe even in the wake of Brexit we're in there's a huge divide in Britain at the yeah. moment between uh, generational views and opinions and that kind of I thing hadn't, I hadn't noticed 
<laughs> so it, it doesn't do that, which I think is a shame because there is more in this story. But if you're going for a kind of funnish heist drama with all these classic actors, with some good performances, then that's exactly what you're going to get and nothing more. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I enjoyed the film as far as it goes. It's uh, fun in a way to watch these uh, these incredible actors have a go at each other and drop C-bombs aplenty. And, you know, let's hope Jim Broadbent doesn't bring this sort of behaviour into the Lakes Paddington film, otherwise we're all going to be in trouble. But I feel that it, it doesn't... It just it's, it plays it a bit safe. And it plays it a bit safe cinematically as well. I think that uh, James Marsh is a, is a fine director, but... Uh, he's not one who brings a lot of visual flair to this. And I think if, uh, you know, we don't want to see a guy Richie Cologne either, but I think someone who maybe might have done more than just your standard setups might have been quite fun. Uh, three stars then for King of Thieves. And very, very quickly this week, uh, Nev, you've seen Harry Dean Stanton's final performance in Lucky and uh, I believe you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I just thought it was a lovely film. I mean, I can't really recount the story because there isn't much of a story. He's mm. uh, living in a small town in America. He's known by everybody, he goes around telling stories, and it's really about him coming to terms with the end of his life. He has a fall, um, and it's not, but it's not miserable. That's, I'm making it sound <laughs> yeah, 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 it sound. I just thought it was, it was sweet and tender and funny. David Lynch is in it as well, which is always, you know, it's quite fun to watch David Lynch. Um, it's directed by John Carroll Lynch, who you know, is like Norm from Fargo, and he was the guy who may or may not have been the Zodiac killer in Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... It's just it's very gentle and episodic, and it's not a great story. Not a, not a great deal of story, but it yeah. is entirely absorbing. And you're watching Harry Dean Stanton in what was his final performance. He is magnificent, um, and I just found it very. I just found it very touching, actually. Um, I uh, I did have a little bit of a cry, Chris. I'm not going to lie. Really, um, I thought it was uh, lovely, so I would heartily recommend it. Four stars then for Lucky, and we also get four stars this week to uh, The Rider. Sadly, uh, none of us idiots here have seen it, but Helen has, and she said it was a thoughtful and thought-provoking look at identity, aspiration, and a precarious way of life, anchored by a stunning performance by Bailey Chondru and inspired direction by Chloe Sow. So four stars as well to The Rider. And that is it for this bumper-sized edition of the Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Eli Roth, director of The House with a Clock in Its Walls, and Paul Vig, director of A Simple Favour as well. Very exciting. Uh, until a auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from the potty mouth, filth receptacle it is, Ben Travis. Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. Okay. That was amazing. <laughs> There you go. It's another 50 quid. This were a jar, but worth it. Fuck it. Don't we do it again? You poop mouth, you poop coming out of your mouth. Unbelievable. It's goodbye from the owner and founder of the Magic Tavern, Terry White. Ta-ra. Is that it? That's what I'll say when I uh, bid goodbye to people from the door of the Magic Tavern. Ta-ra. Uh, and it's goodbye and I think probably for the last time because why the hell would he want to expose himself to this ever again uh, from Nev Pierce I've had a surprisingly good time <laughs> so thank you very much I please really leave that it. review on iTunes <laughs> give us a three star review yeah, three star, surprisingly good <laughs> uh, fantastic and it is goodbye for me uh, inspired by Nev I'm off to realise my dream and work on my first short film My One Dead Dad starring Greg Evigan thanks for listening see you next week bye 